Mimeo Talk of the Trade, sharing marketing and sales success stories. Hey everyone, Mike McNary here, welcoming you to another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. On this pod, we share marketing and sales success stories. Our goal being that the conversations on the show with subject matter experts and sales and marketing leaders lead to some useful takeaways for you, our audience, so you can bring it back to your teams and to your respective revenue missions. If you're just discovering our podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We're now available on all of the major podcast sources, including Spotify and Apple. So we encourage you to uh, leave some notes, give us a good rating, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, uh, the more the merrier in general. Today's episode proposes that the secret to improving your win rate is choosing and implementing the right sales methodology. Our guest today is Paul Butterfield. Paul is the Vice President of Global Revenue Enablement at Instructure and host of the Sales Enablement Society podcast, Stories from the Trenches. Paul, it is great to have you. Welcome to the pod. Thanks. I've been looking forward to this. We have as well, and we're really glad to have you. Uh, for the folks uh, out in our audience that don't know you or might not know Instructure, why don't you tell us a little bit first about your company and your role there? Sure, I'd be happy to. You're right. They may not know in structure, but what I'll bet a lot of them know is our, it's not our only product, but it is our flagship product, and that's Canvas. Because anyone who's been through university experience in the last 10 years or has had children in uh, doing remote learning, especially over this last year, uh, 2020 with COVID, likely have used Canvas or know someone that has because um, it, it, we just have a you know very dominant share of the market and people love it. It's a great product and uh, students love it, teachers love it. So Instructure does have other products, but that's usually where people know us from. Uh, and, and my role here is I came, I joined uh, in Q4 of 19 uh, to come in and create a sales enablement strategy. Um, their, their work there were a couple of folks here doing sales name and function, but my CRO, it was looking for somebody to that had, had built a sales name and strategy and executed, the, you know, at uh, other companies to come in and do that here. And that's essentially what my role has been. Wonderful. Uh, so now you've been there since Q4 and 19. What's your favorite thing about your job? Hands down, my squad, the, the, the folks that I get to work with every day. Uh, you know, my, my, um, the sales enablement team here consists of the, well, they call themselves the OG sales enablement hmm. group because they like were, they, they, yeah. So that's the, the, uh, the folks that run onboarding and ramping and the, and the ongoing development of our K-12 salespeople and somebody else does the ongoing development of our HEs, somebody else SDRs, right? So, so all the typical things I have, I have a systems and tools person. So, but then also in Instructure, the technical writing and bid management teams um, are part of, of sales enablement. And so that's why we've got the OGs and then we've got the, hmm. uh, the manager, bid managers and writers. Um, and, and that entire team is truly a, a high performing squad. Um, you know, it's one of those types of teams that I will be in meetings with other leaders and an idea will come to my head and I'll say, well, what if we did this? And it's very, not, not uncommon to hear, oh, well, yeah, we already talked with Kim about that. She's she's already working on it with with the so and so leaders and or or Regina or right, right. Tamika. What? But I love that. Right. That's the kind of team that that you you want to be part of. 
Yeah, it certainly is. And I'll tell you, uh, I love hearing that answer when I ask that question, right? When people go right to their team, they're usually doing something right and have a good group of people around them. If it's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. So. Now, if people want to check out your podcast, uh, Stories from the Trenches, it's a Sales Enablement Society podcast, but I understand you're the host and producer. Uh, right. Where can our audience find it? The usual sources, uh, I think you mentioned for yours as well, that uh, if you look under Stories from, Stories from the Trenches, Apple, Google, Spotify, Alexa, um, it's there. It's on a number of the smaller platforms as well, but it's not hard to find. Good. Yeah. And, and I can uh, attest to it being uh, great uh, content with a lot of takeaways. I think that uh, regardless of role, you can take back and, and really make use of. So uh, well done to you and your team on that one. Well, today, as I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about sales methodology and how the right one can improve your win rate. Uh, let's start out bigger picture for our, our discussion, Paul, and we'll drill down further. But um, why don't we start out by can you give us your definition of sales methodology? Sure. You know, it's, um, there are, sometimes I've heard the terms sales methodology and sales process used interchangeably. My take is that they are unique but complementary. And when I think of sales process, it's, it's literally those stages typically in Salesforce although we don't want to forget our friends at Microsoft, but Dynamics right. is out there, although I don't know anybody that uses it. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but uh, it's those actual stages in Salesforce. It's the gating and the requirements and the definitions of each of those stages so that you're bringing structure and order to you know, the sales process. Yep. Methodology, again, very much complementary and they work together, but methodology is how are you approaching the prospects how are you creating a unique experience in the front end we live in an experience economy and i don't i don't know of many companies out there with 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 with, with a truly disruptive product that have that don't have competition and even if they are the best in class prospects don't necessarily see that and you have to earn the right to have those higher level conversations um, by offering a great experience out of the gate it's uh, to me, so it's the, and it's that it's also though, how are you going about specifically doing your discovery? How are you going about building a sphere of influence within the prospect, right? Discovery, this is a common mistake I've seen in different companies. Discovery is not a one and done. In, unless you're doing an incredibly transactional sale where there really is only one decision maker, yep. you need to be doing discovery and you need to be getting good at, at gaining access. You know, think of it, it's a big ask to ask a prospect to introduce you to somebody else in their company. Of course it is. Here. So how do you build that trust and how do you how do you build a business case? How do you create a you know a, a true case, quantifiable case for change? Methodology is all those things. And then of course you get into things like negotiating and, uh, and, and, and building out a mutual close plan and, and things like that. But all of that is in a good methodology. Right. And so it's kind of that the execution component of the sales process to some degree, yeah. right? You're yeah. going stage yeah. to stage and in each stage, what is your organization's philosophy and execution plan? And it sounds to me, um, in my experience has been that consistency is really important if we're talking about having a good one and a scalable one. Is that the case? Yes. 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 One of the questions when, when I have sales leaders ask me about just methodology in general or having conversations at a conference or something like that, one of the things that I will ask them is if you were able to anonymously and, and invisibly drop in on 
10 to 20 discovery calls your team are doing over the next two weeks, how easy would it be to tell they were selling or pitching the same thing? Yep. And, you know, a lot of times they're not super sure about that. Yeah, and, it's a really interesting take, you yeah. know, because you'd like to think that there's this level of consistency and, you know, uh, utilization of best practices. But, um, you know, if you're not really checking in or establishing a culture of that consistency, maybe it's not happening. Right. Exactly. And, and so what salespeople tend to revert to, given nothing else prescriptive and successful to follow successfully, is product and feature, right? Product feature to demo. And, and typically what that leads to is a race to the bottom because that's what all their competitors are doing. So how do you, we can talk more in depth about that, but, but, but enabling them and giving them the tools to have a very different kind of discovery and a more elevated kind of discovery. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to get to that. I think that's what we'll hold on that for a moment. But I, you know, once you have one, how, how do you sustain it? We'll talk a bit about that. Um, beyond the consistency and, you know, having a, a methodology that has a good ROI, right? You're getting the results you want at these various stages of your sales process with a good methodology. What are some other components of what you consider to be a quote unquote great sales methodology? What does it look like? One of the leading indicators you'll often see is the prospects will notice that I, i've actually seen if you're if you're offering that truly differentiating experience um that one company where i worked um uh in contact and mm -hmm. but uh when we what we knew we were on the right track because when my evp would go into those meetings that typically happen with big the executives at large opportunities at the end of the cycle they were saying things to him like bill how did you teach your sales team to come in and have business level conversations, not product conversations? My team can't do that. Do you mind sharing? Right. And that was started happening, not every day, but often enough that we knew the revenue would follow. So, so you are, you are setting yourselves apart that way, more professional. Everybody loves to say, Hey, we want to be your business partner, but if you can't go in and talk about business, you yep. can talk about your product. It's not going to happen. Yep. One of the other things that you will see is the forecasting accuracy will go up. Yep. The reason for that, with the right sales methodology, the reason for that is your salespeople are getting better at aligning to the seller's, excuse me, the buyer's journey and their buying process. Now, I, I don't mean to say that we're turning over all control to the buyer and not you know, driving towards a successful conclusion. We're actually going to get better at that with a good methodology, but we're also aligning to it. And that means that rather than our gut feeling or best case estimate on when something's going to close, we actually have a plan in place with the prospect. And we're talking about it closing at a time that everyone's agreed on. That doesn't mean milestones won't slip and you know the, that does happen, happens. But in general, you're taking all you're eliminating as much of the human uh error out of forecasting as possible by aligning to the prospect uh very early yeah which makes a lot of sense it sounds like you're controlling everything that you can reasonably control by being you know hip to hip with your your prospect and and you know hopefully yeah. new customer right yeah the key yeah. being it's a mutual thing because yep. of course if we start dictating that totally defeats the purpose but by building a great champion at the beginning and then you and your champion are are then building that case together. 
Yep. So it, it sounds to me kind of, you know, thinking about it through the lens of, okay, this is our sales methodology, right? Organizations are trying to create, you know, effective ways to go through that sales process, get the right outcomes, but ultimately drive business in a way that is, you know, a good experience, as you mentioned before, experience economy, you know, experience in, in our day to days, we're all expecting it, but a good experience for prospects, you know, in some way, the methodology frames the customer journey. Right. I mean, you, you are creating the customer journey by having a good methodology and making it customer centric. Yeah. No, I would I would agree with that. Yep. And that journey is so important now. Now. So, you know, this is what I'm hearing from you. A good methodology looks like, you know, what's at risk if you have a methodology that lacks that consistency or maybe isn't as customer centric? You know, what do you see happen in those cases? One of the early things I think you would see or that I'm sure you would see is all of that messaging and market positioning and all of that work that's been done by the product and product marketing teams and the executive team um, is just probably not going to translate out into customer conversations. Yeah. So you won't have any consistency in that. And we don't have consistency in that. Your brand takes a ding. You're going to have missed opportunities. Salespeople are being left too much to figure it out on their own. And, and I don't mean, I most of my career I was in sales and I, and I also led some great sales teams. And, and But the point is, their superpower is selling. Yep. It's not writing value props and creating, right? We need to be doing that and, and providing them. A, and a good methodology is going to set them up to talk about outcomes rather than about the product. And when you do talk about the product, you're talking about it as a verb and not a noun. That's a that's a big differentiator for most customers to what they're yeah. used to. Yeah, yeah, they have to visualize the impact on them, right? What yeah, because that's our job out. to help them do it. Yeah. Yep, totally agree. And I think that's uh, very true. If you don't have that, you'll start to, you know, going back to your point about the prospects feedback, right? Your, you know, experience with in contact with Bill's getting the feedback about your sales team is doing a great job and. Um, you know, how, how do you do this at scale? I think that's a really good sign when prospects are telling you that it's a, a good experience and they're getting what they want from, from uh, the journey, right? And you just mentioned scale, and I don't think I mentioned this and I intended to. Any good methodology is also going to be repeatable, scalable, and auditable. Yep. It, it, if you can't check those three boxes, it's probably not a methodology that's going to stick. Right. Yeah, which makes sense. And I think, yeah, it's got to work regardless of whether you have who you have today or, you know, 3x that in six months, right, if things are going well. And if you are doing it correctly, you're likely going to be scaling faster, right, because you're having yeah. successes. So um, good, good. Now, you know, now we've got kind of a framework of sales methodology, how it plays into, you know, designing your go to market with your team, but also the customer's perspective along the journey. Let's talk about choosing the right sales methodology right? Different organizations sell different products, have different sales cycles. You know, what are some of the common sales methodologies to choose from uh, in your experience? Well, the ones that I can speak to that I personally had experience with are mm -hmm. integrity selling, the challenger sale, most uh, customer-centric selling, a lot of experience with that, implemented that at two different companies. And my uh, and the current methodology that I'm involved with and we are using here is selling through curiosity. Now, there's a lot of other ones out there, such as Medic and and uh, you know Miller Hyman that that I I'm aware of them. I've read up on them, but I haven't actually used them in the field. So, 
Got it. What should an organization be thinking about, right? So, so there's these third party, you know, methodology, uh, you know, frameworks and or authors, right? And, you know, companies can have them come in and, and show your sales organization how, how to run that methodology from, from A to Z. How do you pick what's right for you, right? What are some characteristics you should be looking for and how do you align it to your people? That's a great, that's a really, really good question. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the reasons that we're using Selling Through Curiosity here and in Structure is I have not worked at a company previously. I have two decades of experience in B2B sales, yep. uh, both channel and direct, but I've never been in a, and I've sold, so, you know, you also sell to GovEd, but it's kind of like just part of the overall mix. I've never been in a company before where we sell 100% to educators and academics that's what we do. That's our that's our core audience, our core customer right. base, and and so you know, looking and trying to find a methodology. The what I'd had enormous success uh, with one, but but then how do you find something that maybe doesn't feel as commercial? And and this isn't a criticism of any of the methodologies I mentioned. It's just as I as I looked closer into the, the methodology we're using now, the questioning techniques um, and the note taking and the branching and such that that um, that that the team learns to use, I just felt would really resonate strongly with the education buyer buying market. And more importantly, someone on my team who had been here for like five years before I had gotten here, I, um, as part of evaluating, once we narrowed it down to the one I thought we were going to you know, go with, I then signed up and went through as a learner. I didn't feel like we could really make that final call until I actually went through it, just like a sales rep was going to. I just went through a public work version of it instead of a, and and this person from my team also went through it because I valued her opinion with so much time on the job, and she and she was a former teacher herself, um, and 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 we both felt like yeah, this is this is the one. So it wasn't that I was looking so much first at it aligning to our salespeople, but is it going to speak to our customers and create the kind of comfortable, you know, open experience and that we want to do. Now, it also was a good choice for a lot of our sellers because not all, but many of them are former educators. And so I felt like, well, that's, that's a double win there because if it's, right. if it's, a, if it's one that's comfortable and effective with educators, we got educators on both sides of the, of the conversation. And, right. and most of our sales engineers are former customers or, you know, come from that. kind. Oh, of that's way. interesting. Yeah. 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 There's a canvas canvas has a, uh, they have a, a rapidly loyal following out there. It's that's uh, a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's uh, so that part, that part is good. Do you want to present this to your team as something that's coming from the outside or is the end game to say, Hey, this is a framework that we're getting that's proven um, has been applied through multiple industries and has this, you know, pedigree, but we're going to make it ours, right? How much do you customize a framework like that to make it yours in order to, to really align it with your language and the rest of your processes as you go to, go to market to your customers? My answer is that it's, my experience, I should say, is it's a hybrid between the two you just said. And I'll okay. explain. You could write an in-house sales methodology and a really large, like I spent some time at GE, right? GE wrote, they came up with their own. They brought in McKinsey or somebody, I can't remember who had brought, been brought in by ML to, uh, you know, to consult on it, but essentially it was ours. But in most small to medium companies I've worked with, um, 
having picking one that aligns well with the customers and you know, all the things we just talked about and having it come in is if it's a proven methodology there's only so many ways to do outcome-based sales methodologies and the other thing i found is there's a lot of good ones out there sometimes people say well, what's the best sales methodology honestly the best sales methodology is the one that your team consistently uses and Which so, so true. Um, and, and so if you're bringing somebody in, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. But what I found the most success in my just personally implementing it now, this will be third company that I've been in a sales enablement role and implementing, you know, a, a full scale methodology um, is that the you have at least one internal person who is certified in facilitating, customizing, and, and you know, as an internal resource, because the challenge is just, again, my experience, when you have the instructor coming in from the outside, yep. you're, you're a little bit hamstrung. They're, they're not there all the time. They can, they can learn your selling and your customer base and all that to some degree, but they're not there for the reps to turn to on a regular basis. They're not right. there to join sales huddles and sales meetings and continuously reinforce. So, so finding a methodology that will allow, and not all of them will, that will allow you to go through as part of your pre-launch prep and get certified and test or you know, demonstrate mastery, whatever they want you to do, but then allow you to be that internal resource so that you're able to take what's proven and work with them to make it applicable to the day-to-day -day selling scenarios that your salespeople. Now, in my case, we'll actually have two somewhat different versions of Selling Through Curiosity because our higher ed sales teams sell into a very different group of buying personas and different outcomes than our right. K through 12 sellers. But that's the other nice thing about it is you've got that flexibility to adapt scenarios and all that. Yeah. So so that's why I say it's it's a hybrid. You're leaning a lot more on the on the outside group at the beginning, but there's a there's a there's a pathway to having it as someone internally running it going forward. Good, and that that brings me I think where I wanted to go, uh, you know, here in in culmination is, you know, once you've established, you know, that you're going to implement whatever sales methodology that it might be, mm -hmm. you've got to reinforce it, right? I think you've spoken a little bit about how you know a training or an enablement resource is key to manage those not only the you know, onboarding of new folks to the methodology, but the ongoing certifications, which I think are important to make sure people are really driving home and staying on, on process. But what role does sales management or leadership play in uh, maintaining and, uh, you know, kind of reinforcing the methodology over time? Oh, they, 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 they are the primary role. You know, one of the things that I have no illusions about is that sales teams are going to make major changes because my team or I asked them to. They don't report to us. And frankly, when I was in their role, I would have probably looked at it the same way. What they're interested in, you know, my current boss, Frank, has this, I've worked, this is the third time I've worked for him. Um, he's a great leader. And one of, his, one of his signature expressions is, what interests your boss should fascinate you. And that sums up the end, my answer to your question right there. If reps don't perceive that their direct frontline leader is following this methodology, is expecting their pipeline meetings to them to come to their pipeline meetings 
able to show how they're using it. And there's not that common language, which is another benefit of, of a good methodology, you develop a common sales language. Uh, then uh, if that's not happening in pipeline meetings and in the team sales meetings and stuff, it's not going to stick. It doesn't matter how great a job sales enablement and sales ops does in implementing and putting in Salesforce. Their role is critical. Then at the other end of the spectrum, you need that executive sponsorship as well so that everybody understands this isn't something that we can put our heads down. And in probably 60 days, nobody's going to remember it. That, that this was a strategic decision, this is why, and this is something that I'm vested in, and this is what we're doing, right? Right. I, you know, uh, in so many words, this is this is the bus that we're riding. You don't have to get on it, but, you know, we want you to. So Yeah, start drinking the Kool-Aid now. Uh, yeah. It's going to be around for a little while, that type yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so everyone's on board. They're drinking the Kool-Aid, as I said. It's top. I've never to, seen that. I would love to see that situation someday, but uh, I'll take the majority. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, no, well said, right? There's always the uh, – I had uh, Justin Schreiber on from People.ai, and uh, he had a term for the people that – kind of were able to go a little outside of process, but still be successful because they had certain skill sets or, you know, were overly compelling at certain areas of the job. He called them artists, right? He said, everyone should probably be in line with the processes, you know, at scale, but there's always going to be a couple that may be able to uh, live outside of the framework a little bit, but still be successful, but they should not be the norm. Right. What, what, one of my leaders had an interesting way of dealing with that. Again, this is this is this is the third time doing this, you know, doing this methodology at this scale. Right. Um, and his take on it was he agreed with what you said. But what he would tell the salespeople is 101 percent of goal, 100 percent of goal. You're just doing your job. Yeah. So being 101 percent of your goal, 101 percent of your goal doesn't get you that that uh, ability to do that. If you're at a 150 or better percent of goal, I will cut you some leeway in doing right. it outside the process. However, if you drop to 149, 149% of goal, I I own you again and you will do it my way. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You lose the rope, <laughs> you lose a little bit of rope that you had, right? That's right. So enjoy that's right. it while it lasts or, or yeah. continue to perform, yeah. right? Exactly. No. He's like, yeah, 100% of quota, that's your job. That's I love it. Special. Yeah. So. And it's true, right? As far as I'm concerned. So. Um, so, you know, everyone or, or, or most are bought in and, you know, this reinforcement, how do you measure, right? So, so some of this is not only sub subjective, but it is a performance, right? You can always keep an eye on KPIs to make sure, you know, how many discoveries somebody is running or how many demos, mm -hmm. but how do you really keep an eye on that those engagements, those discoveries or those demonstrations are going well and in line with your methodology? It really starts, um, the core of it is with, with the frontline sales leaders because it takes time to build that new muscle memory. And so for the first weeks, months, you're going to have salespeople that are even trying to, to implement this make mistakes and they're going to not follow the process accidentally. I'll give you an example of that. Um, you know, writing, writing a really good follow-up email that outlines the business case that you started to, to put together, you know, in, in that discovery meeting, well, that's on us to document that and do it in a way that's easy for them to not only remember for themselves, but also share internally because we know we're going to ask them to introduce us to other people. Um, if a rep, if a, excuse me, if a leader doesn't see that in Salesforce, then 
that opportunity, this is a very typical gate that I've used, and that opportunity should not be in stage two. It's still in stage one and until right. that email has gone out, right? And the email itself is not the issue. It's the pieces in the email. It's the, what is their current state? What is their ideal state? What's the gap? What's the cost of doing things now? What's the risk of not getting to that ideal state? If you can answer those five questions, that's an opportunity that in most companies I've worked in ought to be converted from S, uh, MQL to SQL because there's something there you can build on. If you can't answer those questions, again, that's what a leader would, would, would be on them to say, you know, it doesn't sound like we really know enough to put this, convert this and, and put it in the top of your funnel. Because once something gets in the top of your funnel, it takes on a life of its own and it becomes hmm. really difficult to you get a rep to take it back out, right? So we yeah. want to have a clean top of funnel. And so that let that email, if it's well written, is going to just tell a leader right off the bat, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, okay. Clearly you had the right discovery meeting because your 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 letter, right. your email reflects that. You might also use a conversational intelligence platform. We happen to, there's there's a number of good ones out there, which is another way to be looking and me and, and seeing if those discoveries are happening. Right. Um, but there's other things along the way, right? Different gates. So that sales leader's job is to make sure, is it actually in the right stage in Salesforce based on the methodology and push back and put it in the right stage and send the salesperson back to go do that field work until yep. they get to move it. And that's hard to do. It, it, but, but if that doesn't happen early in the process, again, it's just really hard to get it to stick. So that's where I would start measuring and where we start looking. Now at a higher level, we wanna look at things like, and there's a lot of things that could be could influence these metrics, but the good methodology baselining is gonna help with that. Percentage of discounting should go down. The number of times that we're discounting could even go down. Um, you're, you're going, you should see if you have a platform sale with other components and you tend to have a problem with salespeople focusing on your core, product and, and, and mostly just going to that, making assumptions that that's what everybody needs. Um, a good methodology of this, you will start to see the percentage of platform sales and attach rates go up. Okay. Because again, we're teaching them how to come in and understand ideal state, current state, and helping them create a vision for themselves of what capabilities they need to get there, which usually opens up a broader conversation rather than a salesperson just you know starting to demo the thing that they think everybody needs. Right. So those those are some things that I would look at. I think I mean, there's different answer. ways of measuring them, but yeah. Yeah. No. It, listen. It's it's use every tool at your disposal, but make sure that the outcomes you're looking for or the barriers that you want to see uh, being met are being met before you're call you know considering a deal to be in a certain position or an opportunity to be in a certain state. Right. Right. And that's where the customer. That's where I talk about driving the opinions out of the forecast as much as possible because. What, you, what if we do this right, each of those stages have a gate that it requires a customer input. Yep. So it's never a salesperson's opinion. It's specific input from the customer that indicates it's ready to move to the next level. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, this has been really great stuff, Paul. And I think, um, you know, thinking about our audience, hopefully they're, they're getting some good takeaways here. I think, you know, everyone likes to think that they've got a good sales methodology or the right sales methodology, which they do. But it's something that you have to constantly be honing, um, thinking about, and making sure that your team is executing on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, 
I love it. And I think, um, you know, uh, they should have a good idea of why sales, sales methodology matters, how to choose the right one, and then how to reinforce it. So, yeah, there's a you. lot of good ones out there, you know, narrow yeah. it down to three or four and then just go deep on those. Yep. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm sure the folks have been down that process. And, um, you know, a lot of what you said today is probably resonating with a lot of leaders out there and other people that are, um, you know, part of that decision making process and, and the ongoing maintenance process. So. Um, really good, Paul. And, and I want to thank you again for, for being a guest today on Talk of the Trade and uh, spending some time. We know you're really busy, so uh, we appreciate you. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. Uh, for our audience, if they want to get in touch with you, they're, they're liking what you're talking about today or have some questions about Instructure, where can they reach you specifically? Probably LinkedIn is the best way. I'm, I'm, gotcha. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, I've got my profile opened up so people can send me connection requests or, or direct messages and always happy to connect with people there. Wonderful. There you have it, folks. Paul Butterfield, getting the right sales methodology and using it to improve your win rates. On our next episode, we turn from sales enablement to working with the product team and introduce the voice of the customer meeting. Here's a taste of what to expect from our conversation with Gene Hopkins, CRO at Happy Nest. And I found that by holding this monthly meeting with your head of direct, your head of indirect sales, your marketing person, your success person, your services person, and then have the product team on the other side of the table and facilitating this particular meeting month after month after month, are you coming up with the same three problems, the same three reasons that you lose? And in different environments, you're able to say, well, this isn't a product issue. This is a channel issue. This is... but the product team gets to hear it in one place at one time. And then when you have a deck, you're recording this and then you have notes afterwards. And then at the next meeting, the product team discusses what they did as a result of the previous meeting. Well, we looked at this, we looked at that, we did some research here. It becomes much more of an integrated effort and and something that is easily understood by the entire organization. Tune into our next episode for more tips from Gene on working with the product team. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.